On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, we've learned the first interesting details about the version four superchargers. Plus, Tesla continues to gobble up more market share in the luxury space. New Model S and X owners get one less thing to take home at delivery. Tesla's AI boss is leaving the company and more. Welcome, Tesla family, to episode 363 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for July 17th, 2022, and 363 is a palindrome. I always like to keep track of those because they're fun. Uh, There is so much to get to this week, so real quick, the housekeeping announcement up front. I hope everybody at the ludicrous tier or higher on my Patreon enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode, which was about the next-gen Tesla Roadster, a deep dive all of my theories about this car, and I share them with you over the course of a 23-minute bonus mini-episode. I hope you'll check that out on patreon.com slash Podcast. If you're not already backing me on Patreon, perhaps you'll consider it at some point, and you can hear the entire back catalog of all that bonus content. But let's get right to it. There is so much news happening in this week's show. So, without further ado, our first V4 supercharger details have arrived, though they're cosmetic details here to start with, not kilowatt rating numbers just yet. Those will come in time, but for now, we go to Drive Tesla Canada and friend of the podcast, Marco RP. You've heard me mention him. He is the Tesla community's foremost supercharger sleuth. So the report on Drive Tesla Canada reads as follows. For the first time, We have some exclusive details about what the V4 superchargers will look like thanks to one of our sources and thanks to Canadian supercharger sleuth, the aforementioned Marco RP, who is Marco RP Tesla on Twitter, if you'd like to follow him, who was able to uncover the dimensions of the V4 supercharger cabinets and then compare them to the sizes of the current V3 supercharger. According to Marco's comparison, the V4 pedestals will be taller, thinner, and have a slightly smaller footprint than the current generation. For reference, the current superchargers are about 5 feet 5 inches tall. Unfortunately, Marco was not able to find the design, but Drive Tesla has been able to obtain a photo of the new V4 supercharger. To protect the identity of our source, we can't publish the photo, but we can describe what it looks like, which is convenient because you're listening to a podcast anyway, which is purely an auditory medium. Uh, Drive Tesla Canada continues by writing, The V4 superchargers will look almost exactly like the Tesla Semi Megachargers that we have seen installed at Giga Nevada and the Frito-Lay facility in Modesto. I would suggest Googling that if you're curious, if you can't picture it off the top of your head, because you'll get a nice clear look. Those, Those pictures have been public for a while. You might be thinking we received a photo of the Mega Charger, meaning when you when you uh, actually get to finally see the V4 cabinet. But the major difference was not only the connector, but where the connector docks. The Mega Charger connector for the Tesla Semi docks quite low. 
while the V4 supercharger docks about halfway up the side of the supercharger. We believe this different position is mainly due to the size difference between the two units. Based on what we have been told, the Mega Charger stands a few inches shy of seven feet tall, meaning the docks are likely similar heights off the ground, but they appear different because the V4 pedestal is not as tall as the Mega Charger. Thank you to Drive Tesla Canada and Marco RP on that. So in other words, the V4 supercharger cabinets will be visibly easily discernible as much taller, but also not as wide as the current superchargers. And personally, I think changing the appearance of the supercharging stalls at this point in time, when we're going to go from V3 to a what should be a significant speed boost up to V4, I think changing the look of them is important. And the reason is this, Tesla's never done it. They've never changed the look of the supercharger stalls. Now, except with the 72 kilowatt urban superchargers, but you would never see those on a road trip because they're not designed for that. They are designed for slower charging when you're at a shopping center or something like that, and you're going to be in and you're eating for a while or you're shopping for a while. So they are a lower max charge rate by design. They're not intended for road trips. The V1, V2, and V3 superchargers, they all look the same to the naked eye, pretty much. Tesla has gone so far, in fact, they look so similar, put it this way, they look so similar that you may have seen this out in the wild, I have. Tesla has gone so far as to put signs on top of the V3 stalls at some supercharger locations, namely ones that have a mix of both V2 and V3 chargers, such as Kettleman City or Santa Clarita down outside of Los Angeles. Those are two examples where I have personally run into that. The only way to tell the V3s apart from the V2s, the V1s are all gone now. Uh, the only way to tell the V3s apart from the V2s has basically been to be in the know in the Tesla community, which I mean, you're listening to a Tesla podcast, so that that puts you off to a really good start in terms of being in the know. And it's and if you're in the know, you know to look for the thinner supercharging cable that the V3s have. That is the only way with the naked eye to tell them apart. And so because of all that, I am very glad to hear that these V4s are going to be immediately and obviously recognizable as V4s. And now that we know that Tesla plans to open up the supercharger network to other EVs here in the United States and have already begun doing so in parts of Europe, I wonder if these V4s are also going to have dual cables on them, which is something we see in Europe already. You know, the proprietary Tesla plug, of course, will be on there, but also the more universal standard CCS plug. I wonder if we will see both of those plugs on the V4 cabinets. Now on that note, I do hope that the cables on these V4s are also longer because we're gonna need to be able to reach charge ports on different EVs, non-Tesla EVs more easily so that you don't see people taking up two spots or, you know, otherwise making it difficult for other people or themselves to get a charge. You want everybody to be able to easily and conveniently get a charge without having to, you know, do any 
parking lot gymnastics to get it there. Now, as for as far as an ETA for the V4 chargers, we don't have one yet, either by rumor, by insider tip, by any certainly by any official confirmation. Therefore, my speculation would put them as follows. I think we're going to start seeing them roll out in about one year from now, which happens to be right when the Cybertrucks start hitting the streets. And in fact, I'll even, I'd be willing to put a lunch wager on this, much like how the very first V3 supercharger that was open to the public was at the Fremont factory, I would also, again, place that lunch bet that the first V4 supercharger is going to open up at Giga Texas. I think that just makes too much sense. That's where the Cybertrucks are going to be rolling out of. You're going to have owners naturally congregating there. Uh, I think it would make a lot of sense to have the first V4 chargers there, if only for for Tesla to test them, because that's where they're going to be building pre-production Cybertrucks. So let's get a V4 supercharger cabinet, you know, a few stalls there as well. So as far as the speed now, remember that Elon has already promised us a bump up from where we are now, a version 3.5, if you will, that is projected to be about 325 kilowatts over the current 250. So I'm not sure how much higher the V4s are going to go, but this is obviously super good news nevertheless. I am pumped up for this, even if my car ends up not being able to take advantage of it. In fact, on that note, I would set my expectations such that the threes and Ys probably can't take full advantage of V4, but I do expect that the new S and the new X probably will be able to. Those cars have excellent thermal management. That's one thing that makes the Plaid possible, in addition to the third motor, of course. So uh, that's where I'm placing my expectations. And then, of course, the Cybertruck absolutely is going to be able to take advantage of V4. It's going to be the latest and greatest vehicle off the Tesla production line, the 4680 battery cells, latest chemistry, and it's also going to have a big battery pack that is going to need as much speed as possible on the supercharging front in order to keep people cycling through those superchargers and not keep them at a charging station for too long. And then certainly, whenever the new Tesla Roadster comes around, that definitely is going to be able to take advantage of V4 supercharging as well. I guess I'll, I'll add this. The Model Y 2.0, which currently there are some of those on the streets, the standard range all-wheel drive Model Y from Giga Texas that people have taken delivery of at this point. I think the Model Y 2.0 is probably will be able to take advantage of V4 charging as well because, again, they've got those new 4680 cells in them. That leaves the Model 3, and I'm not sure if the Model 3 is ever going to be able to take full advantage of the V4s if Tesla keeps pumping out Model 3s with the same 2170 batteries for the foreseeable future. Because remember, there is no publicly stated plan from Elon or Tesla to convert Model 3 production over to the, the dual front and rear single castings, the structural battery pack, and the 4680 cells. That is not currently, it's never been mentioned. It's never been a thing that Elon has said that they're doing or is in the roadmap. 
perhaps they will at some point. I expect at some point they probably will. I mean, it may be a few years down the road because the Model Y is the priority and scaling up and scaling up and, you know, taking the time to pause or, I mean, really, well, I guess it would be, it would be a slowing of the Model 3 production line because Shanghai is still building Model 3s. If you were to pause Fremont, convert that over to that Model 3 line over to the Model 3 2.0, if you will, and then maybe fire Fremont back up and then pause Shanghai to do the same. I mean, those are those are definitely things that could happen, but again, we've had zero indication that that's going to be the case. And so I would just not bet on the Model 3 being able to take full advantage of this V4 supercharging if, if and until that happens. I mean, maybe there will be a battery chemistry update at some point down the road. I mean, inevitably there will be. Whether that leads to V4 supercharging remains to be seen. Regardless, though, setting all that aside, because um, I'm kind of, <laughs> I get off on on these fun tangents, and I because I love talking about this stuff. Uh, the bottom line here is this is just awesome news. V4 supercharging, refueling times on road trips. This is one of the last, one of the final big hurdles for a lot of people out there before they're willing to take the leap to an EV because they think, oh, okay, well. I don't want to have to wait, you know, an hour because that's unfortunately a lot of people. That's the, I think, probably a relatively common misconception. Realistically, it's more like half an hour these days. Can you get out sooner? Yes. But I would say in my road tripping experience in my Model 3, the average supercharging stop time is about 30 minutes. So in any case, people, that needs to go down. So V4 supercharging should help get that down. So let's hope that these V4 superchargers do arrive soon, maybe in a year with the Cybertrucks. Sooner would be great, but again, I'm putting my money on about a year from now alongside the launch of the Cybertruck. And then let's hope that they are installed everywhere very rapidly as well, and that it's going to be a quick rollout of V4s. And then from there, they can start gaining a reputation for Tesla as being the single absolute fastest way to reliably recharge your electric vehicle when you're on a road trip. Did you say that again? Sorry, Sorry. Siri. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm doing a podcast here. I don't know what, what, why you thought I was talking to you. Let's move on. Cabin overheat protection. That's a handy feature that uh, a lot of you probably have enabled, particularly those of you in warmer climates. I do here because, I mean, really, it, it doesn't take too much. If it's if it's 75, 80 degrees outside and the car's in the sun, it gets pretty toasty in that interior. So I have mine turned on and we are getting an update to the functionality of that soon. Elon Musk taking to Twitter this week to say, quote, Tesla's automatic cabin overheat protection should make a real difference with record heat waves. The ability to adjust the activation temperature is coming with the next software release, end quote. Well, this is a most welcome feature upgrade, and it sounds like it is imminent. Perhaps even by the time you hear this podcast, this update will have downloaded to your car. It has not at the time I'm recording this on Friday night, and thus I'm left to wonder if you're going to be able to tweak the temperature at which it triggers, at which it activates, if you'll be able to do that from the Tesla app, or if you're going to have to do it only, if you're only able to do it from inside the car. 
My guess is that it's just gonna be the car, at least for now, but hopefully eventually it's something that can be toggled from the app as well. And you know, while the software team is at it and in the spirit of summer heat waves, I'd also like to echo here, in case anybody from Tesla is listening, what some Ride the Lightning listeners have also requested. The ability to have dog mode and sentry mode active at the same time. I mean, sure, have a pop-up that warns the driver, warns the user that this is going to consume more battery energy. And if it, if having to, if it being able to enable both of those at the same time means disabling the internal, the cabin anti-theft sensors because the dog is moving around in there, so be it. I think a lot of us would still want to have those cameras looking out on the outside of the car. And I just think as long as all of that information is conveyed to the user, that would be a wonderful option to have. I would use it, and I suspect a lot of you out there would as well. While Tesla giveth with the additional cabin overheat protection functionality, but Tesla also taketh away this week. While yes, we're getting an upgrade to that cabin overheat protection, Model S and X owners, new Model S and X owners specifically, are losing key fobs being included at delivery with your car. Another tip of the cap goes out to Drive Tesla Canada. That's the first place I saw this. And they write, according to one of our readers who took delivery of a Model S earlier this week and who did not receive a key fob, he was informed by his delivery advisor that the change is effective for deliveries made after July 1st. We have since been able to confirm the change with others, but it appears as though since it is still in the early stages of the transition, some new owners are receiving the key fob. And so now that means new S and X owners get the exact same thing that three and Y owners get, which is two key cards and the ability of course, to set up your phone as a key. And honestly, I'll say I'm of two minds on this. On the one hand, you are spending, if you're buying a new Model S or new Model X, you are spending somewhere between $105,000 and $160,000 on a car. And so it should be a premium experience, right? That is, that is something that I think is fair to say. It would be nice to get a pair of these very slick, very cool, key fobs that if you've never seen them before, if you're a three or a Y owner, they're in the shape of the Model S or X, depending obviously which car you've bought. And they can be useful for say quickly and easily letting a friend or family member borrow the car without having to explain the key card, not to mention the fact that the fobs have extra functionality that the key cards don't, like say the ability to lock or unlock the doors from a short distance away, or say, pop the rear hatch or pop the frunk as well. On the other hand, I also wouldn't be surprised if in the coming days or weeks, Elon gets asked about this and tweets something like, our data shows that S and X owners aren't using the key fobs. Because I'm actually, in all seriousness, I'm not making a joke there, the car does know which key type that you're using. In my Model 3, it knows if I've used the key card. You can check it for yourself. Take a look in the locks menu. If you go in there, like use your, put your, leave your phone somewhere else 
and and you know unlock and get in your car with the key card, and then it will show that it it will it logs that you you entered with the key card. And you know I know everybody has their own personal preference on this. I would argue again I'm not saying anything bad about the key fobs, but my opinion is that the phone key is better. It's one less thing to carry. And it's super convenient. And in my experience with iPhones, I've always just used iPhones. uh, It just works. It's always just worked. Quite honestly, if my Model 3 had come with key fobs, I honestly don't think I would have ever used them. They'd be sitting in my desk at home somewhere. I mean, they, they do offer them. You can purchase them for the 3 and the Y as an aftermarket thing from shop.tesla.com. I've never been tempted to order one. But if, by the way, if you would like to order one, if you didn't know that, yes, you can go on shop.tesla.com and and order one if that's of interest to you. So realistically, you know, we've seen this all throughout Tesla's history, but especially recently as costs are going up, prices are going up. I do have to wonder if this was just a cost-cutting move if any data was factored into this into the decision, like I was saying, you know, half joking about Elon tweeting that nobody uses it, or if this was primarily motivated because of supply chain reasons, kind of like the remember the front passenger seat lumbar that went away in the newer Model Threes and Model Ys, that was a supply chain issue, and maybe and if it is, that means the cost cutting portion of it for Tesla is just a cherry on top for them. You know, we we don't get anything out of that. They they save some money. But either way, and again, I recognize and I respect that you may feel differently about key fob versus phone key for different and very valid reasons. I just honestly don't think this is a particularly notable loss for new SNX owners. Now, I put this This was this week's Patreon poll on patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, my Patreon page. I polled my patrons to uh, get some alliteration going. And I asked, do you care that key fobs are no longer offered with the new S and X? And 134 of the patrons voted. It was 60-40 in favor of no. People voted no. I don't care because I prefer the phone key and or key card, and then 40% of of, uh, patrons participating said, yes, whether or not I'd use them, these are $100,000 plus cars, so they should be included. So, you know, it wasn't crazy overwhelming, but 60-40, I kind of, I honestly, going into this poll, I expected it to be more 50-50. So maybe that's just more three and Y owners voting could be a you know, maybe I, I should have controlled the sample better to have an equal number of S and X voters and an equal number of, of three and Y voters, but that would be getting more scientific than I had time for before getting the show ready for this week. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the next story. Tesla is continuing to gobble up more market share in the luxury vehicle space. I saw this reported on Tesla Roddy, who writes... Tesla gained 8.6% of the total market share of luxury automotive sales in the United States in the first half of 2022 compared to the first half of 2021. Last year, 
Tesla held 13% of the luxury automotive market in Q1, enough to beat Mercedes-Benz and BMW for the top spot. That number has now swelled to 21.6%, according to data from Automotive News. Well, Tesla's got a couple of things going for it here. One, of course, is that word of mouth about Tesla's great products is getting around. I'm sure you've seen it. Maybe you've even participated in that word of mouth. The fact is many, many people want a Model Y and plenty of Model 3 buyers are still out there just now jumping into the world of Tesla as well. That's the big thing, I think. And also the most important thing that, and and the reason I say that is because other market forces can't really affect that. If Tesla has a great product, which they do in the form of, well, all four Teslas, the SX3 and Y, other competitors can make great vehicles, but it doesn't take anything away from how great the Teslas are. So then the second thing that I think Tesla has going for it here is an unpredictable market force, which in this case is happens to be acting in Tesla's favor in a roundabout kind of messed up way, and that is the aforementioned supply chain crunch. Because as we know, Tesla, through their vertical integration and having had the foresight to build their own battery factories, which continues to pay off by every definition of the word, Tesla has been able to weather this supply chain problem arguably, I would say not even arguably, inarguably, much better than many, if not most, if not all, of their competitors have been able to do. So even if Tesla for, excuse me, even if demand for Tesla and for its competitors were equal, which to be clear, it is not. Demand is in Tesla's favor, but even if those things were equal, if demand were equal, Tesla would still be able to sell more cars because they can physically build more cars in this current supply chain environment. Now, as the Model Y ramps up in not just Berlin and Texas, but also in Shanghai, where you remember from last week's podcast, we know that Tesla is going to be doing some serious production capacity upgrades there this quarter. I suspect that Tesla might gain even more market share in the luxury space by the time this data comes around again next year. And then I'll tell you this. If the Cybertruck counts as luxury in the luxury segment, and I don't think I'd consider it that unless the criteria is price, which maybe that is the criteria. I don't actually know what Automotive News is using there, but if the Cybertruck gets lumped into this category as well, then we might end up seeing Tesla's market share number in the luxury space be even bigger still in two years' time once Cybertrucks have been on the streets and and started to ramp up production for a while. The fact is, the arrow is pointing up for Tesla here. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. Next up this week, and speaking of Giga Shanghai, get this, the Model Y was the highest selling new vehicle in June in all of China. Yes, you heard that correctly. This story comes via Reuters, who reports, 
With 52,557 delivered in June, Tesla's Model Y ranked the best-selling model among all passenger vehicles for the first time. It has a starting price. I've converted the the uh, dollar the amounts to U.S. dollars here, just for for simplicity's sake in this conversation. I'm talking to a Western audience. So the Model Y has a starting price of $47,311 in China, surpassing the $4,300 Wuling Hongwang Mini EV. Sales of electric cars accounted for 27% of the total in June and increased 130% year over year. China Passenger Car Association uh, is providing this data and noting that Tesla sold 78,906 total China-made vehicles in June, thus also including the Model 3, including 968 for export. In May, Tesla sold 32,165 and exported most of those, 22,340. So I will admit to you something here. I actually had to read that story on Reuters twice to make sure that my eyes were processing it properly. The best-selling vehicle, period, in China, an American car company's car achieved this. That is a heck of an accomplishment. And by the way, no wonder Tesla is spending the time and the resources to temporarily shut down Giga Shanghai and significantly upgrade that production capacity because it's not just the rest of the world that wants Teslas exported from that plant. China wants them too. Also, the other thing that probably jumped out at you there, as it did me, for me, the price discrepancy between the Model Y and the car that it beat out. That was not a typo, and I did not misspeak when I told you that. The Model Y costs 10 times what the Wuling Mini EV costs. 10 times. As Elon likes to say, that's an order of magnitude. So, the question is, is Europe next? Will the Model Y be the number one selling vehicle in all of Europe next, once the production ramp has fully fully, uh, completed that ramp up in Giga Berlin? I mean, hey, I suppose it's not getting greedy to ask, well, why not at this point? Because after all, just last week, I told you about how the 3 and the Y are already the top-selling vehicles in Switzerland right now in 2022. And thus, I'm saying there's no reason to think that the Y can't be number one in all of Europe once Giga Berlin is able to supply, adequately supply the entire continent of Europe. Remember that Tesla is aiming to get 500,000 vehicles per year out of that plant, which if you do the math, that's about 10,000 per week, assuming, you know, shutting down for two weeks over the holidays. So 40,000 or so per month is the goal out of Giga Berlin, all Model Y. And I think this is totally on the table. Again, that, that being number one in all of Europe, I think it's on the table. Elon himself has said he believes that the Model Y in in another year or two could be the number one selling vehicle in the entire world, period. So let's check back in a year from now on this. Maybe, Maybe 18 months from now at the absolute most, and we'll see 
if that goal has been achieved. On the subject of big new factories, Nikkei Asia reports that Panasonic will invest $4 billion in a second U.S. electric vehicle battery factory in Kansas. And that announcement came via Panasonic itself, confirming an earlier Nikkei report. The decision, as Nikkei uh, Asia uh, reports, pardon me, the decision follows Tesla's April opening of a second American EV factory in Texas to meet brisk demand. The Japanese company picked the site of the new facility based on factors including its proximity to Texas and favorable tax treatment. Oklahoma had also been considered as a candidate location. Panasonic aims to triple or quadruple EV battery production capacity by fiscal 2028 from the current level of roughly 50 gigawatt hours per year. That would mean upwards of 200 gigawatt hours per year in another five or so years time. It plans to install two production lines at a battery component factory in Wakayama Prefecture, Japan in fiscal 2023 and begin manufacturing its new high capacity model, the 4680. Increasing production demands from Tesla, a leading source of the Japanese electronics group's earnings, were likely a factor in the decision for a new US plant, along with Panasonic's progress on the new technology. Rahm Emanuel, the U.S. ambassador to Japan, issued a statement calling it a, quote, new milestone in U.S.-Japan economic and technological leadership. Quote, when the United States and Japan work together, invest together, and build together, there is nothing we can't achieve together. Panasonic Energy's plan to build one of the largest battery production sites for the next generation of electric vehicles in the great state of Kansas is a vote of confidence for the strength of the U.S. economy and the quality of the American workforce, end quote. Emmanuel noted that Panasonic's investment plan of up to $4 billion will create as many as 4,000 American jobs. Well, something that came to mind here when I read and processed this story. Tesla should absolutely count these as secondary jobs created. Remember the impact report from not too long ago that, that talked about job creation from Tesla over the last 10 years? Tesla absolutely should count this new Kansas battery facility as secondary jobs created. Like, in five years from now, I would love to see a comprehensive report that analytically and realistically estimates Tesla's economic impact on just the United States. Because if you look at the U.S., and again, Tesla's an American company. They have, of course, facilities around the world at this point, but just look at the U.S. and Tesla's impact here from an economic perspective. You have factories in Fremont, Austin, Buffalo, and Reno, plus a big office in Palo Alto, the design studio in L.A., Tesla stores and service centers continuing to open across the country. Now upwards of 100,000 jobs here in the United States directly from Tesla. Those are direct jobs. Now, I know the 100,000 employee number from Tesla, we we did have some layoffs, which trimmed that a bit, but then some other jobs are going to be added in the coming six months to a year. And also I recognize that some of those Tesla jobs are in other countries, whether it's Canada, Europe, 
etc. But anyway, it's still, we're talking about upwards of 100,000 jobs here in the United States. It's just really, really impressive. And again, it, it's only continuing to grow. This new 4680 battery factory from Panasonic, it's, it's fantastic news. This is awesome. I am so glad that Tesla and Panasonic have remained such good partners over many, many years now. More 4680 cells. Keep pumping them out. We need more and more of them so we can get more Model Ys on the road. The Roadster's on the road. The Tesla Semi's on the road. Bring them on every cell that Tesla or Panasonic can build. All right, next this week, by the way, I'm not even close to done. There's so much to talk about this week. All right, the next story. Yes, I am a Tesla fanboy. I have told you that plenty of times. But what I would say is, with that caveat, I still don't think anyone could really argue that Tesla isn't the leader of the EV movement. And there is some excellent news to report on that EV movement. This report comes via Bloomberg reporter Tom Randall, who says the U.S. is the latest country to pass what's become a critical EV tipping point. And that is 5% of new car sales powered only by electricity. In other words, battery electric vehicles, not plug-in hybrids, not regular hybrids, battery electric vehicles. This threshold signals the start of mass EV adoption, the period when technological preferences rapidly flip according to the analysis. For the past six months, the US joined Europe and China, collectively the three largest car markets, in moving beyond the 5% tipping point. If the US follows the trend established by 18 countries that came before it, a quarter of new car sales could be electric by the end of 2025. That would be a year or two ahead of most major forecasts. It makes sense that countries around the world would follow similar patterns of EV adoption. Most impediments are universal. There aren't enough public chargers. The cars are expensive and in limited supply. Buyers don't know, how, don't know much about them. Once the road has been paved for the first 5%, the masses soon follow. Thank you, Tom Randall from Bloomberg. Now, personally and anecdotally, I'll tell you this, I am seeing a lot more of everything pop up in my neighborhood. I live in San Francisco where the Prius has always been a very popular vehicle. You can usually find at least one or two parked on the street on every block, like literally every block. It's gotten to the point now where there are more and more Teslas on just about every block and there are just more and more EVs. I'm seeing bolts out there. I would say in particular recently, aside from Teslas, which I do continue to see more and more Teslas, particularly Model Ys, but the Volkswagen ID4 SUV specifically I've been seeing those pop up uh, with new, you know, new car tags around the neighborhood. And the fact is, we need all of these good non-Tesla EVs because for a million different reasons, some you might agree with, some you might not, but the fact is not everyone is going to want to buy or be willing to buy a Tesla, whether it's brand loyalty to someone else or a 
distrust of a young company like Tesla compared to a hundred year old company like Ford or a lack of service centers relative to the establishment and dealerships in their area or they don't like Elon Musk or whatever it is. The point is that great EVs at reasonable prices are needed from all auto manufacturers. And it's taken far longer than I think Elon or Tesla thought. Remember, if you go all the way back to when the Model S unanimously won Motor Trend's Car of the Year Award back in 2013, in the acceptance speech, Elon Musk literally said, okay, not literally, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, you can go back and look it up. He said, I hope other companies copy us. I hope they copy us. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. Even after the Model 3 arrived and started dominating, it didn't happen. Although that was the car that did finally wake a lot of them up. When, when the Model 3 started just gobbling up market share from the BMW 3 Series, Audi A4, those kinds of cars. And now the Model Y, that's really the, uh-oh, we'd better really get moving on this realization for so many of these other car companies because the Model Y, as you all are well aware of, many of you are Model Y owners yourselves, the Model Y is just all over the place. Everybody wants one and for good reason. But the point is, again, this wasn't a Tesla-specific story, but I wanted to read it for you because this is why one of the reasons why we all are here, why you're listening to a Tesla podcast, because you enjoy your electric vehicle. You find a value in it, whether it's for the safety, the performance, the transition to sustainable energy, you can, or all of those things, right? You might be one, you might be two, you might be in for all of it. And so I wanted to share this, that the EV movement is officially, from data-driven analysis, it is unstoppable now. And I want to say to all of you, you've all played a part in that by buying an EV or just being enthusiastic about them, even if you don't own one yet. You're talking to your friends, you're talking to your family. You know, it's you are all part of the solution here to cleaner air in our neighborhoods and a better future for this planet. I know that sounds, you know, that sounds hyperbolic, but it's true. I mean, if we can, can if we can accomplish the Tesla mission of converting and uh, transitioning to sustainable energy and cars, passenger vehicles are such a crucial component of that, the world is going to be a better place. And obviously we all want that. The penultimate news item I've got for you this week is this. It was just an episode or two ago that I was wondering aloud about the next FSD beta build, how it's definitely been longer than ever between versions. Well, we finally got an update on that from Elon. He tweeted, 10.13 goes into internal beta tomorrow, external next week. Should handle Chuck's complex left turn. Beta V11, hopefully the end of next month, which just amounts to incorporating highway. The importance of V11 has been reduced by all of the 10.x releases. We're already mostly at version 11, end quote. First of all, a shout out to Chuck Cook. I don't believe he's a listener of this podcast, but that's okay. 
But shout out to Chuck for being legendary enough to have made it all the way to Elon's purview. If you aren't aware, Chuck makes FSD beta videos with every new version, and he goes on a route, and on his route, he has a notorious unprotected left turn near his house that he always tests the build with. It is an incredibly difficult turn across three lanes of oncoming traffic with like no proper middle lane, and the car has, to date, never done particularly well at navigating that on FSD. So that's what Elon is referencing there. If you just, if you want to see what I'm talking about, just go onto YouTube and just type in Tesla FSD Chuck, and I guarantee you, you'll find a video that shows this unprotected left turn. So second there, regarding the timing, it sounds like those of us in the FSD beta program might see this by the end of this week, meaning July 22nd or so. I mean, we shall see. It's been such a long wait between releases that whenever this does drop into our cars, I'm really excited about this one because, again, it's been so long, I'm eager to see if it's going to be a noticeably big difference on this one. Fingers crossed for a, a good update here. Speaking of autopilot updates, though, some somewhat sad news to end this very long news block of the show with. Tesla's head of AI, Andre Carpathy, who has been on sabbatical for the past four months, has decided to leave Tesla. He made the announcement public on Twitter saying, quote, It's been a great pleasure to help Tesla toward its goals over the last five years and a difficult decision to part ways. In that time, Autopilot graduated from lane keeping to city streets, and I look forward to seeing the exceptionally strong Autopilot team continue that momentum. And then he added in another tweet, I have no concrete plans for what's next, but look to spend more time revisiting my long-term passions around technical work in AI, open source, and education. Well, Elon Musk had very kind words on Twitter in response to Andre's departure, posting in reply to Andre's tweet, quote, Thanks for everything you have done for Tesla. It has been an honor working with you. Well, I can't say I am the least bit surprised by this. And in fact, I had mentally prepared myself for him to not come back when he first announced his sabbatical. I went back to my notes and, and dug this out from the time that his sabbatical was announced, which was back on episode 348. So what is that, 15 shows ago? And I said at the time in my notes, I had written down, I will say that my fear, if you want to call it that, uh, is that he may never come back. And the only reason I say this is because in my 20 years of working in video game media and specifically covering Microsoft that whole time, I have seen longtime Microsoft employees take sabbaticals and in my observation, they often don't come back. Those folks can afford to because they've been at the company for a long time to get a sabbatical in the first place, obviously making a good salary by being at the company for that long, and obviously have a strong stock compensation package for a long time that's matured and vested since they joined so that those people can literally afford to not come back from a sabbatical. And I said that 
I imagine that even after just five years, Carpathy is in the same boat. Whether or not he's the highest paid person at Tesla, as I've idly speculated, it's somewhat moot when it comes to this question since it's only been five years. Anyway, uh, yeah, he's got stock and I'm sure he's fine. And clearly this is what came to pass, this exact scenario. And, and I'm, by the way, I don't claim to have some grand insight. Uh, it, I'm hardly the only person that's noticed that uh, people in prominent positions at tech companies that take sabbaticals often don't come back. That is, <laughs> that is not any genius observation on my part. And I'll say this, uh, I'm bummed for Tesla for sure, because Andre is clearly a brilliant mind. I've played you clips of his from from talks he's given at AI Day and what have you. But again, as I've seen in my tech-adjacent career in games media, when people tend to be senior enough and tenured enough to get those sabbaticals in the first place, this is often what happens. So all the best to Andre. And, you know, there are still... Plenty of smart people on the autopilot and AI team. I mean, Andre, for his, to his credit, he was very humble about his contribution. Uh, later tweeting, quote, It's important to keep in mind that the autopilot team is hundreds of strong engineers who very much know what they're doing, just don't have my public visibility. I was only one part of that effort, and I think I get an outsized spotlight cast on me because I do, end quote. Well, I've seen discussion in the community about whether this means, whether his departure means that FSD is basically solved, basically done, or if it's not even close. Because there's an argument to be made either way, right? And only time is going to show us which of those arguments is correct. I would look at it this way. I think his decision probably may not have factored that in at all, the state of FSD. I, I suspect that he may have just reached a point personally where after five years of going hard in the paint all the time, goodness knows how many hours a week he was putting in, that he just couldn't do it anymore or didn't want to, you know, that he was burning out. I mean, it's it's difficult work. It's it's a lot of hours. It is not easy what he's doing and what the team that's still there is doing. I want to make sure to give them credit. They're going through all the same stuff that Andre did over the previous five years. I'd still love to get Andre on the podcast someday here to talk through everything he did accomplish during his time at Tesla. I mean, I guess you never know. He's clearly got more free time on his hands now. So you never know. We'll see. Alrighty, that is everything I've got for you in a stunningly busy week of Tesla news. By the way, next week is the earnings call episode. So that promises to be a very busy, very fun week of the podcast as well. So I know you'll be back next week for that. But for now, stick around. I am not done yet. I've got some of your excellent phone calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline all teed up and ready to go right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out.
Time for your calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline. If you would like to participate in the podcast, I welcome you, I invite you. There are two easy ways to call in. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible, and then email that file to me. The email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline itself. It's a toll-free number, and you can dial it anytime, 24-7. It's 1-888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up this week, Andrew from Orlando with an interesting announcement that uh, I may or may not be a part of. Go ahead, Andrew. Hey, Ryan. This is Andrew from Orlando, Florida. Longtime listener, longtime caller. I just happened to notice I'm uh, actually one of the event coordinators for Tesla Owners Florida, the official Tesla club here in Florida for the whole state. I uh, just happened to notice that you were going to be one of the uh, speakers and VIP guests at TeslaCon Florida here at Port Canaveral uh, in October of this year. I'm very excited to finally meet you. And uh, again, I've been a big fan of your show. I've been listening since 2017. And for listeners, uh, if you could maybe uh, share this uh, for anyone that wants to join the TeslaCon, we're going to be doing it October 21st to the 22nd at Port Canaveral, right near uh, NASA. In fact, we'll probably be visiting NASA as part of the weekend. We're going to have you uh, as one of the speakers, as well as Sandy Monroe, uh, Brian Jenkins from I1 Tesla, and uh, Brooks Weisblatt from Drag Times. It's going to be a fantastic conference uh, for anyone that's driving or us locals. We're going to be doing a car show, which will be judged by Brian Jenkins and lots of other activities. So um, check it out at teslaownersflorida.org. Again, teslaownersflorida.org. Thanks for sharing this, Ryan. Andrew, thank you for letting the cat out of the bag on this. Yes, it's true. And I promise I did not put Andrew up to that call. Truth be told, I just locked this in like a week or two ago, and I wasn't sure when the Florida owners groups. We're going to announce the whole thing. So since Andrew called in, I guess, and the website is there, I guess it's being announced. But so yes, the coordinators of TeslaCon Florida have kindly invited me to be a guest speaker and a participant in the event. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I've booked my ticket. I will be there. And it sounds like it's going to be a really big, really fun event. I'll tell you, I've only been to Florida once in my life and it was a Disney World trip with my family right after high school. So it's been a long time, and I'm looking forward to seeing NASA and some of the non-Disney parts of the area. And I also can't wait to meet all of you guys, all the Tesla owners and enthusiasts who are going to attend that. So I hope to see a lot of you there. Thank you very much, Andrew, for that call. Looking forward to meeting you. James from Salt Lake City is up next. 
Hey, what's up, Ryan? It's James Hardy from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I am a huge fan of the podcast, all the hard work you put into it. I've been listening since you had Elon on, so I think like episode 200. This is my first time calling in. And first off, just to all the Ride the Lightning uh, listeners out there, if you guys are not on Patreon, jump on and start supporting Ryan at the Ludicrous tier because you get a uh, these mini episodes that he's been doing, these bonus episodes, the Lightning Rounds. Um, the last one, well, actually two ago, number four was all about the Cybertruck. And I loved everything you had to say on it, Ryan. Um, one of the points I didn't agree on was the idea you raised that maybe only the highest trim level would include the tonneau cover and the other ones wouldn't. Um, the only reason I disagree with you is that I've had a couple of um, pickup trucks in my life and bought shells for them. And the Cybertruck design is just so unique that I would be shocked if you had, you know, if you got a dual motor version, like that's the one that, that uh, I have a reservation for, and you had to go out and go find uh, a third party that would install it for you. Um, anyway, I, I really do think because of the unique design of it that it will come included in all trim levels. But uh, now that I've broken the ice, um, I, I'll call back with more topics. But yeah, thanks for all the hard work, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. James, thank you for the very kind words. And like I promised that I didn't put Andrew, the previous caller, up to his call, I also sincerely promise you I did not put James up to that Patreon plug. But James, I do appreciate it. And James, as uh, you may have figured out there, is referring to one of the lightning round weekly bonus mini episodes that I do on Patreon, which in this case, the one he was referring was a deep dive on what I think the options and pricing are going to be for the Cybertruck. I had speculated on that episode that perhaps the auto retracting vault cover for the truck bed might be tied to the quad motor configuration and just not available at all on the dual motor version. James, you may very well end up being correct on that because the logic behind why I said what I said could also be applied to the opposite, to your position on it, that the dual motor and thus every Cybertruck will have the vault cover installed on it from the factory because it would simplify production. Kind of like how even the base Model 3 still has the glass roof, when if you remember way back, way back early 2019, as the first, as the standard range was about to first go into production, Tesla even had it on their website, they were going to put a metal roof on there for the standard range version and not have an all glass roof, but they ultimately did not ship any cars that way. They decided it would be simpler, easier, and presumably even cheaper to not mess with that aspect of the production line and just stick with the glass roof so that every car is built with it the same way. So James, we should get our final answer on this with regard to the Cybertruck and the vault cover in around hopefully nine or 10 months or so from now. Thank you so much for calling in. Just time for one more call this week. There was so much to get to in the news block, but let's hear from Dennis in Nashville. Hey, Ryan, uh, this is Dennis Peak out of Nashville, Tennessee. I've got a quick question in regard to uh, charging. I, I know this has probably been covered before on the show, so I apologize if I'm asking something that's been uh, covered recently. Um, I am looking or currently have an order on a 
a performance model three and I don't, you know, I don't have a home yet. Um, so, you know, charging at home, um, is not an option for me. So, um, I do know, I think based on things that have been brought up in the podcast before that, uh, you know, don't, you know, not letting the battery get underneath like 20% and, you know, not charging maybe beyond like 85, 80%. Um, I know that's kind of like the rule of thumb. Um, I was curious if I need to be concerned about, you know, not charging it every single night. Um, you know, if I stayed within those parameters, is the car going to be okay in the long term? Um, and then my charging plan uh, for the time being is, like, you know, I have a Target uh, Super Center, you know, five miles down the road. Um, and I do spend quite a, you know, good portion of time there. Um, and they've got, you know, 10 different uh, V3 superchargers. And so that's going to be my long-term game. And I was curious, like, you know, is there anything I need to be concerned with there as well, you know, using the, you know, the most powerful version of the superchargers? Um, I wouldn't say on a consistent basis, but as my means of, you know, charging when I do need to charge. Um, I appreciate any feedback. And, again, thank you for everything you do on your show. It's, it's a fantastic show, great place to be, great source of information. And, again, thank you for everything. Bye. Dennis, hello, and no need to apologize. This is an important topic, and for everyone that might have heard this before, there are probably, for every one of those people that's heard it, there's probably two more that haven't. So, in short, I wouldn't worry too much. Officially, the owner's manual does recommend that you leave the car plugged in whenever you're not using it, but you absolutely don't have to. These cars are designed to be able to sit unplugged for long stretches, like say when you're parked at the airport long-term parking lot when you're on an extended trip or something like that. Now, as for supercharging, it's it's not the best way to go on a consistent basis, but the car is going to be okay. I always like to point to the test loop example. If you're not familiar, test loop was a ride service company. I don't think they're still going. Maybe they still are. I should look them up. But Testloop was a ride service company that operated in San Diego, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. And it would take people from San Diego to Vegas with a stop in LA in between. So there would be people that would ride it, you know, all the way from San Diego to Vegas or a lot of people that would just take it from LA to Vegas. But that was their route. And those cars, they had S's and X's that went for hundreds of thousands of miles with all those just back and forth runs up and down, what, I-15, I guess that is. And those cars exclusively supercharged and those the, the battery, the cars were fine. So even if you don't necessarily have the ideal charging conditions, it's honestly nothing I would worry about. It's really, for real, I just would not worry about it. These battery packs are resilient. It's it's going to be just fine. So I hope that helps. And more importantly, I hope your Performance Model 3 arrives very soon. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you to everybody that took the time to call in. I promise I will get to more calls as soon as I can. This just happened to be, a, as I said, a super jam-packed news week here. So the show's already running long. And in fact, it's going to run a little longer because... I have a Tesla solar experience to share with you, which I will do right on the other side of this very short musical break.
If you'll spare me a few minutes here, I have an experience to share about Tesla Solar and about the Tesla Energy side of the business. So uh, I guess I'll start with solar. My wife and I have been talking about it for a while. It, the, the, our real sense of urgency was with regard to the federal tax credit that's going to be stepping down year after year. This is, I believe, the last year to get the full credit. So we we talked about it and we kind of ran some numbers and we thought, okay, well, you know, why don't we go for it? So I did two things. I put in uh, the quote, you know, I got the the little uh, proposal from Tesla and then budgetsafesolar.com, one of the friends of the podcast that I always mention at the end, I put in with them as well. And so we'll, I said, okay, let's just, we'll see what both have to say. Tesla, for their part, acted very quickly. Very, they, they got the paperwork over that you got to fill out, which they, you can just, I don't know, that part's pretty easy. I'm not going to bore you with those details. So it was, it was fairly easy. I appreciated that. And then the next day, I had a design proposal. Now, I should preface this by saying when I put in the order, it was for, I forget the number of kilowatts in the system, but it was for 101% energy offset. That's that it had proposed, I think, slightly less than that after I put in my address, and then I and then I said, well, okay, well, no, give me the give me more. And and so you know, that's what it put in. But when I got the design proposal back, it was, it says at the top of the screen, hey, your price has been reduced. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Oh, okay, it's because you're only gonna put panels on one side of my roof. The other side has a dormer and some, you know, kitchen exhaust bits on it. And so uh, they were showing, uh, yes, a cheaper system than what originally was was on the, you know, on the, the proposal when I first put in my address, but a 43% energy offset after, you know, they, I gave Tesla all of my utility billing and information. So they had all, they know how much energy we use and it was going to be the system that they kicked back to me was a 43% energy offset. So Obviously, that's not good news. That's not great. So there's there is a little button there that says "Request a call from an advisor." Great, click that. Was able to get it scheduled for I think a day and a half later. Had that call today actually, and just ex- you know explain the situation. Like, hey, what about you know the dormer? Can you put and this? Long story short, they 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 run it back again, and he talks to somebody. And nope, that's for various reasons. I won't bore you with the details. That's all we can do. Well, I, I will say, in, in fairness, this is I don't want to I don't want this to sound too negative to Tesla. I do have a very tall, narrow, hundred-year-old San Francisco house. So there is not a lot of roof space to deal with, to, to work with in the first place. And then there's the dormer and there's these couple other bits on the one side. So again, it's it's limited. It's a limited canvas to work with for for the artists at Tesla, the solar artists. But obviously, forty three percent is just not worth the expense because if we had, it was going to be after the credits, it was going to be like nine thousand something dollars for that system. For and and I'd still it wouldn't even cover half of my utility bill. 
So that's just, you know, that wasn't going to fly. So we canceled that. And uh, I, I'm waiting to hear back from the proposal from Budget Save Solar, which at this point, I mean, I will listen to them. I want to see what they have to say. I don't expect they're going to be able to suddenly take me from 43% offset to 100. I, that's, I'm, that's not realistic. So I don't think we're going to be able to move ahead with solar, or at least put it this way. It's not going to make financial sense for us to move ahead with solar right now. But um, while the, the part two of this was, I think I mentioned this, I'm sure I mentioned it on a, a few shows back. My cousin, Pat, who passed away, he had uh, a Powerwall from the referral program, a prize that I had won him because before I had my own referral code, I cycled through a few different listeners. One of them was his. I did use his. And then if there were a few different uh, listeners whose codes I like randomly drew and, and would use them for a little while. And while I was using Pat's code, we did get enough referrals to win him a Powerwall, which as I said, it I'd completely forgotten about. So anyway, so this power wall was sitting in the box, never installed, and I had it freight shipped up here to me, uh, which, you know, was not cheap, but it's, it is what it is. And I knew that also it was, it was going to be a little bit of a dice roll on whether it was going to work properly, but I was counting on the warranty of the power wall if there was any issue with it. Well, I can't even get that far because here's where the frustrating part comes in. I cannot get a hold of a human being at Tesla Energy. And I know I'm not the first person to say this. I've heard this a lot. And unfortunately, I've experienced it myself now. Granted, I mean, I just got done telling you that I talked to a human being after I but I had to put in a solar order to do that. So while I had this, this advisor on the phone, and because it was pretty quick, you know, we had a half hour blocked out for the call. It was pretty quick that we realized, you know, okay, this isn't the solar thing's not going to work here. We're going to cancel our order. So I said, well, while I've got you, (laughs) let me ask you this, because I found easily two or three different phone numbers for Tesla energy. In fact, I think I tried, I tried roadside. I tried, and then there were a couple of numbers I found on the Tesla website. Everything, every button I tried to push for like there was no for Powerwall press three. There was none of that. And every time I tried to just get through to someone, it just kicked to an auto message that said, you can now ch- check on your order from your app. And then and then it would say, this, this uh, helpline is no longer in service. And then it hangs up on you. So I just could not for the life of me get a human being. So finally, since I had a human on the phone about my canceled solar order. I explained the situation. It was a referral program thing. The, the winner passed away. It's, you know, I wanted to add it to mine and have it at my house. He goes, and to his credit, he said, you know, it was a weird situation. I didn't expect him to have an answer right off the top. He puts me on hold, goes and talks to his supervisor, comes back and says, well, we're only doing power wall installations with solar now. So we're not going to, we can't help you. We, you know, you should just go to a third party. And so then I was like, well, what about the software end of it? Like I got to get this hooked up. If I get an electrician or whoever to install it, how do I get it like added to my Tesla app, to my account? 
And they, he gave me a phone number for that, which was great. Hopefully there's a human being on that if, if I, you know, make it that far. But that was a little disappointing. I mean, I get that it's a weird circumstance and it's also, and to their credit, they also fairly warned me. They were like, if it's been sitting and never plugged in, like you, you should have it checked first by a professional to make sure, you know, before you put it on the wall and potentially end up with a, a 350 pound paperweight. So I appreciated that and I knew that going in. So yeah, I've emailed our electrician that we've used for a number of projects around the house and I'm waiting to hear back from him. But yeah, a little bit of a disappointing experience overall. Um, again, just more so with this power wall, I would say what I would say for Tesla solar is uh, again, it, it was Tesla, it was very quick. Like as soon as I fed them my my utility information, um, they, they like spat back a design at me really quick. Like it, it, it could have gone, if I had wanted this, it would already be in motion and they'd be pulling the permits. And so it seems like it's pretty streamlined unless you need to talk to a human being, then it can get frustrating. So that's my Tesla solar slash Tesla energy experience. And I'll keep you all up to date on, on where I get uh, with my Powerwall. I just, I hope I'm able to get this thing checked and installed and added to my account. And I hope I didn't just spend hundreds of dollars to freight ship it up here, where by the way, it's taking up a lot of space in my garage floor to, uh, to just turn into a paperweight. So we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, wanted to share that experience. All right, uh, pro tip of the week time. Here is John from Atlanta. Hi, Ryan. This is John from Atlanta. I'd like to call in with a quick update on the new UI, which I just found earlier today. And I was so excited about it, I figured I'd share it with you all. Hopefully, I'm not the first person to realize this because it is a feature that we lost and they have brought it back, which I'm so excited about. And that is the seat heaters on the bottom bar. If you hold or long press one of the icons that's on your quick toolbar there, it will bring up the UI to switch out or delete other icons on the bottom. And lo and behold, at the top is the defrost um, or heat and two seats, left seat and right seat buttons. And if you drag either one of those buttons down to the bottom bar, you will get your seat heaters back. Hope this is a great tip for you guys. Take care. I am very glad to hear that the Tesla software team has responded to the clear customer feedback on that and reverted that feature back to the way it was in version 10. Optionally, of course, which is all we want, just want the option. So John, thank you very much for the heads up on this. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that they'd like to send in, please send it my way the same way that you send in your regular Ride the Lightning hotline calls. And I'll do another pro tip of the week next week. Before I go, some friends of the podcast that uh, perhaps can help you out. And in turn, maybe we can all help each other out. AbstractOcean.com. I've got a coupon code for you. If you have uh, not made a purchase there before, if you're a first-time customer, RTL Podcast, all one word, RTL Podcast at checkout will get you 15% off of your first order. They've got just miles and miles of Tesla accessories, you got to check them out. A lot of lighting kits, a lot of lighting stuff. I would, I would argue that's their specialty. Uh, and I say that very generously because they have a lot of really neat 
lighting kits, lighting accessories, that kind of thing. But they've they've got a lot. I mean, the the tempered glass screen protectors, they're up to like version four of those now, and they're made out of Corning glass, which is the same stuff that is Gorilla Glass and all that kind of thing. Just take a look. I mean, see what they've got, see what you like, and if you like anything, throw it in your cart and use that RTL podcast coupon code to get that 15% discount. Meanwhile, Snap Plate, the Snap Plate, that is the front license plate bracket. For people like me that don't like having to do a front license plate bracket, you can get yours for any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. That's everyamp.com slash RTL. Put it on if you're going to be at a parking meter, if you're going to be going through a toll booth, toll bridge, that kind of thing. Take it off if you're detailing or you're going to be at a Cars and Coffee car show. You know, however you want to do it, it goes on securely, but it also comes off with the tools that are that, that you got there. Uh, comes off cleanly if you want it to as well. I mentioned BudgetSafeSolar.com. I mean, do what I did. If you're thinking about solar, reach out to Tesla and reach out to BudgetSafeSolar.com because they will take good care of you. Uh, And I'm about to find out. I'm about to go through the experience myself, even if I don't end up necessarily going through with the order, if I can't get that, you know, 100% energy uh, offset, I'm still eager to kind of check it out, just see what the process is like at BudgetSafeSolar.com. Whether you are interested in solar for your home or your business, check them out, BudgetSafeSolar.com. And by the way, if you do proceed with an installation, please kindly use my referral code, which is RTL. And then Immaculate Reflections will take excellent care of your car if there's anything you'd like uh, done with it from the detailing perspective. If you and your car are going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, you're going to want to book in with Immaculate Reflections. Go to his website, irdetailing.com. You can see his work there and get in touch as well. And when you do get in touch, mention, I'm a Ride the Lightning listener, and there will be a nice little discount waiting for you. I very much thank Jeff, the owner of Immaculate Reflections, for continuing to offer that to the Ride the Lightning audience Whether you want to do ceramic coating, paint protection film, paint correction, uh, even just a like nice clay bar wash and wax, like, you know, a thorough deep clean if you're not going to go all the way for something like a film. Whatever you want to do, Immaculate Reflections will take excellent care of you. Again, that website, irdetailing.com. Meanwhile, puretesla.com slash RTL, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. Their setup is micro SD based. So it is designed to stand up to the constant reading and writing and reading and writing that the sentry mode and dash cam do. So get yours at puretesla.com slash RTL. It's 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit or $69 for the 256 gigabyte kit, comes fully formatted, ready to go. They even ship free anywhere in the US, which is super awesome. Just take it right out of the package, straight into your car, and it will start working for you. They also sell a wireless game controller kit. If you do a lot of gaming in the car and a wireless game controller is of interest to you, you can also find that on puretesla.com RTL. And then Jada, 
Jada's got a number of center console-centric accessories, like the Jada USB hub console for the newer Model 3s and Model Ys with the, the uh, latest version of the center console. It's a storage organizer, USB hub, Apple Watch charger, and AirPod charger. Uh, and with the USB hub, you get USB-C ports with that as well, which is, uh, I know, very handy. A lot of newer products are using USB-C. There's also the Jada Tray, which is a drop-in tech-focused center console organizer. I've got one of those in my car. They've got that for both the older console style and the newer console style. Uh, so grab any either of those if they are of interest to you at getjada.com slash ref slash eight. That is my referral URL, which I kindly ask that you use. And in return for using that referral URL, I will offer you a discount using the coupon code RTL. Finally, my Patreon, I mentioned it earlier in the show, but patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. That is my Patreon page where you can go to voluntarily choose to support my efforts. Patreon is a platform where you go to support creators, authors, musicians, poets, uh, podcasters, you name it. You name the creative endeavor and there are creators on there like myself that have a Patreon page set up where fans of those people can go to, again, it's purely voluntary, just go support the work that you can support for just five bucks a month. And even that five bucks, which is which I call the sport tier, because I name all of my Patreon tiers after performance modes in the Teslas, that $5 a month tier will get you a uh, early access to each week's episode which hopefully you find some value in. And then if you go up to that $10 a month, which is the ludicrous mode tier, that's the one I mentioned at the top, the ludicrous tier gets you not just the early access, but also the lightning round weekly bonus mini episodes, where as I told you at the top, I did a deep dive on the Tesla Roadster, the next-gen Tesla Roadster this week. So uh, if, you know, if you've been enjoying the podcast for a while, I humbly ask that maybe you, if you, you consider a pledge, maybe it's today, maybe it's next week, maybe it's soon, but hopefully uh, you may see, see it in your heart to take a look at that page again at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. If you are not already subscribing to the podcast, that is a totally free thing to do on whatever your podcast delivery platform of choice is. The numbers tell me that most of you get the show through Apple Podcasts, so you can subscribe to me on there. I'm also on Google Podcasts. I'm on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and even YouTube, just in audio only. There's no video, but if you do want to search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube, you'll find my channel there and can subscribe. What subscribing does is it means the show will automatically push out to you every time there's a new episode, which is, of course, every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. So it just makes your life a little easier if you choose to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can email me anytime. My email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. My social media handle is the same on both Twitter and Instagram. It's DMC underscore Ryan. And before I go... Let me say hello and thank you to the 
highest tier Patreon backers. I'll start with the Roadster in Space tier crew. Thank you very much to Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Ayacavetto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, and Carol Weston. I'm talking to a couple of the Roadster and Space Tier backers this weekend, which I'm looking forward to, because the final perk on top of all the other perks at the Roadster and Space Tier is a monthly one-on-one hangout with me, if those people elect to choose it. The Maximum Plaid crew. Thank you very much to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, uh, Matt Asbury, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, and Chris Pratt. Thank you all very much. And then the Plaid crew. The Plaid tier is no more, but these kind folks continue to support me at that tier. Grandfathered in, which I appreciate. George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelesny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. Thank you all so much for your very generous Patreon support. You are making a positive difference in my life, in my family's life, and for that, I do genuinely thank you very much. I have talked a lot on this episode. This has been a long one. There's been a lot to cover, and there's going to be a lot next week, too, with the earnings call. This is going to be a really interesting one because we know that deliveries were down. Tesla's consecutive quarter streak of setting new quarterly production and delivery records is over because of the COVID-related shutdowns in Shanghai. So this should be an interesting earnings call. Uh, We'll see how the financials come in, whether Tesla's in the black or, I mean, I presume they're still going to be profitable, but it's going to be an interesting one. So as usual, I will have clips, some, you know, clips from Elon and the other executives, uh, highlights, and I'll have my analysis, just the full recap for you on next week's show. So look forward to that. And until then, happy electric motoring, my friends, and I will see you next week.
I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun. 